Hey there, chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat. And welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femtotown Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. And here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content and it will have descriptions of violent, sexual in nature, just kind of like icky, icky things today. So... Mm. Your lesson of discretion is advised. Well, you have been warned that before we get in today's crime chat, Kat, what have you done? Well, happy new year, chatters. This is our first episode coming out after the new year, so I hope your 2024 has been mm-hmm. fantastic so far. Yes. 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 So, oh, so I did tell Chris, I th- last time I mentioned that I watched the Daryl Dixon. Uh-huh. So I, I, I told him I watched it and he's like, oh. <gasps> You watched it without me, and I was like, we were watching Frasier. Like, that's the only thing he wanted to watch. And, it, I mean, good, granted, Frasier is good. So I was like, you're working. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like, not watch anything? Because right. then I named the other two things I'm going to talk about. But before I do that, he he's seen four out of the six episodes, loves it. Okay. And I think we're probably going to watch the next last two episodes probably somewhere between tonight and tomorrow and that's on amc that's not on netflix right right well yes 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 amc plus okay but i also told him i watched these other two movies and one of them i told you about after the krampus episode and you know you're you're surfing through and everything like that i was like let me look up a movie of the one of the krampus movies i didn't one didn't realize it was out until you told the story and two that i hadn't seen obviously So I tried Krampus the Return. And? And I turned it off. It was absolutely really? horrible. Really? It was that bad? <laughs> it's like the acting, the even the cinematography. I mean, in, I, in B-rated movies, you know, or like the old straight-to-TV, you know, movies right. kind of thing. Like, I have a lot of, I don't want to say flexibility, but I have a lot of, like, patience when it comes to that kind of thing. Huh? So if you, if I turn something <laughs> off... Yeah, <laughs> most people are going to be like, oh, it must be like really bad then. It was just like horrible. You know, there's you know, there's a movie that I can't for the life of me remember the, the name of it, but maybe you'll know it. It was a Christmas movie. It was about Santa, mm-hmm. like becoming like this badass kickass, you know, it wasn't. This. It wasn't Deadly Night or whatever that just came Violent out. Violent Night. Violent. It wasn't that, but it was. It wasn't some, that one. It it was something like that where Santa became like this hitman. And oh, I don't he know. was fighting Krumpus, right? Oh, really? Yeah, and he was like killing the elves and all this stuff. And then at the end of it, he actually was a mall Santa, uh, and he <laughs> murdered everybody. In his head, he was like fighting these demons, but they were actually just people shopping for Christmas. But he was mentally ill and went berserk. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Do you know think, that movie? So I think it's one of the Krampus movies, like uh-huh. Krampus first something. I I want to say, and now it's flipping through. I think I saw. Okay. Like Krampus first Santa. Like it's something like that. I think I saw the one that you're talking about, but I have not actually seen it. That's a pretty good one because I was didn't. It? I didn't expect the ending. I didn't expect. Okay, the so twist it was like a, he was... The, the twist at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then the other movie that I watched. I think I watched this one like the day after Christmas. You know, the kids were gone and I'm just me and the dogs. Uh-huh. So I'm looking for something to watch. Right. And I found The Haunting of the Queen Mary. Ooh. The Haunting of Queen Mary. Okay. And you know Queen Mary, the big cruise ship, oh. like cruise liner ship. It came out in like the 30s. Mm-hmm. That was built in the 30s. No, of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's supposedly haunted, and, like, there's this stuff that it's so, it's actually out in California. I want to say, like, San Francisco area, maybe, of California mm-hmm. is where it's there, and it's a museum now. I was talking to my daughter-in-law because they live out in California, mm-hmm. and she's like, next time you come, we'll go. <gasps> she went on a high school trip right. to visit the Queen Mary, and I was like, ah, we gotta go, because Shane and Ryan... When they were still with BuzzFeed Unsolved, right. or Buzz, they were still with BuzzFeed Network, I should say, went there. And then I think they might have gone back since they've had their own Watcher productions and have stepped away from BuzzFeed. But yeah, they went out there too. And so the movie is, it's fictional, but it's of course based on like the tales and everything of it being haunted. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a really, really good movie. Really? Like I was like, ooh, I, that's one that I would watch again. And I'm usually not like a movie repeater kind of person unless i really 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 like it where can i find it great question i don't remember (laughs) i think i searched i think i searched hulu Hulu? yeah or because we have roku Mm -hmm. and i just discovered this also that roku like will read the different programs that you have like the subscriptions that you have Mm -hmm. and make recommendations like roku itself will make recommendations all you have to do is like search and it'll tell you which one and i think i found the queen mary one on that but i want to say it was hulu or maybe you can try prime or i can just let you know right yeah let me know because you know what you notice that it's funny that you mentioned roku is doing that it's crazy how how creepy alexa is getting so for, for Christmas, I got my dad a brand new Alexa, right? Because he, okay. he likes cooking and stuff. So I yeah. got him like the new model. And it's mm-hmm. the Alexa show. So it's got the screen so he can watch YouTube yeah. and the recipes. And it's, I guess this, the new ability that it has is that it follows you around the house. So when you're in the kitchen, the screen mm-hmm. follows you wherever you walk. Oh, that is creepy. Right? I thought it would be good. I'm like, you know, you can, while you were going to the fridge, you still can watch the screen to cook your recipe. But I didn't realize how freaking creepy it is because it's literally, you, he, so I hooked it up, I hooked it up here Uh and we were just playing with it and he got up and went to the bathroom and the thing just followed him to the bathroom. That is insane. I know. I know. I don't know. I don't know. Always watching. Always watching. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We got a Blink home system, mm-hmm. so a doorbell and two cameras. Right. And I didn't realize that it hooks up to your Alexa. Oh, yeah. And so the Alexa stuff and Amazon is under my account. So when Chris was, like, figuring it out, I was having to, like, log in and do all these other things. He's like, it's really creepy and it's kind of annoying, actually. Mm-hmm. When you hit the doorbell, the all- we've got four Alexas in our house. Mm-hmm. All- oh, my God. <laughs> Kitchen, living room, my office, and the bedroom. Right. <laughs> All Alexas will go, someone is at your door. <laughs> or someone is in your backyard. <gasps> oh, no. And it, it said Mm-mm. someone is in your backyard. But I didn't realize because we've got one that goes out the back and then one that kind of is over the garage in the front. And then we've got our doorbell. And I didn't realize when I was looking through my notifications, like somebody in the backyard. That was actually me. I was opening up the door for the dogs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh. I guess. Like, I can like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> But it will go off and be like, somebody is in your backyard. No, no, no. no. Alexa is creepy sometimes. Oh, no. I don't know. But I do like the live feed on the the doorbell and on the cameras. Mm -hmm. You can get the live feed. I mean, we we have a security system, but we've never, and we had a ring doorbell, but we've never had it where, we've never had like additional cameras and everything. And Chris is like, I can see when your boyfriend comes and goes. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's like, okay. <laughs> oh, uh, so I watched, have you seen Murderville on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen? Yes, I have seen it. Have you seen the Christmas special? Isn't it only a Christmas special or no? No. But that's when Jason Bateman is on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, I have seen that one. I just watched it. I love it. Yeah. I love Bateman. I think we watched it last year. I love it. I didn't realize it was was on. I didn't realize that they they did that. I'm like, oh, this is good. Okay. What's the main character's name? I forgot. I know. Like I've seen him. Yeah. In things, but I just don't remember his name. He's from like SNL. I know that. I've seen him yeah, on yeah, SNL yeah. before, yeah. but I don't know I don't know who he is. I'm not sure. I don't know. Ah, that's okay. Okay, well, Kat, I know today is a crime and cosmetics. It is. First one of it's season 3. It's the first three. one of the season. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I have no idea as usual of what you're doing it about. <laughs> I have no clue. But you did tell me to do a a short intro on small town crimes. Mhm. Did I get that yeah. right? Yeah. Well, well, we're going to be in this in the middle of a small town in the Ozarks, so <laughs> I figured maybe small town crimes would be helpful. So I picked five small town crimes, really scary ones. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, and the crazy part is we have not touched on any of these cases for crime chat yet, oh. but we're going to need to, we're going to need to. Yeah. All right. Well. Number one, David Parker Ray, a.k.a. the Toy Box Killer, yes. is accused of killing over 50 people near a small town called Truth and Consequences in New Mexico in the 1990s. Now, everybody's familiar with that case, right? Yes, yes. You think so? Bailey Sarian did that case, mm-hmm. and did you hear Alexa? She just went off. <laughs> a shipment <laughs> has arrived. <laughs> So Bailey Sarian did that case on her murder mystery makeup. And uh-huh. when it was after that, that she came out with the suspicion merchandise. Yeah. And I've got a sweatshirt. And on the back of the sweatshirt, it says it's in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. <gasps> because when she was talking about the Toy Box Killer on, on that episode that she did, she was like, I just love that Truth or Consequences. And it's a very in, uh, interesting Crazy name, name. For a town. Yeah. It's a crazy, crazy name. Well, the I checked the last U.S. Census in, for 2020, and it recorded a population of a little over 6,000 people. Oh. You know, I'm not going to get into the case because we may cover yeah. it in Crime Chat, but yeah. the bodies were never discovered in this case, and the police ultimately found ones, like, crimes that were committed because he would videotape everything that he oh, did yeah, to these poor right. women. Yeah. And it's really hard horrible what he did but Mm -hmm. um and these and these tapes were the the police were led to these tapes from a woman who managed to escape Mm -hmm. thank god and she survived ray was convicted of kidnapping and torture and he died later on in 02 after having a heart attack Hmm. yeah so that's in hell yes yes we yeah we should definitely do if we do that case that's a good one we should do that case and we should do the intro on truth and consequences like do the town and then you do the murder yeah, do a little history of the truth or consequences. Yes. So number two, the murder of the Coons family in Athens, Wisconsin, a town only around a thousand people, became creepier and creepier as the details were unearthed. Now, mm. in 1987, three elderly si- siblings and their 30-year-old nephew were murdered by gunshots to the head mm. on their property in the middle of the night. Kenneth Coons, another nephew that lived on the property, but ended up 
discovering the three bodies, Mm -hmm. he also noticed that his mother, Helen, was missing. So another person, four people. Mm. When police arrived, they soon discovered the family had been hoarders. And amongst all the crap that they found in that house, they found some strange pornographic images of each other. Uh, yeah, evidence revealed that the entire family was probably incestuous. I was going to say, yeah. Icky? Yeah. In another horrific twist, nine months later, after the, the bodies were found, Helen's body was found in a swamp less than 20 miles away. A local man who knew her found her, and he was actually charged with the crime of the family and her. So, I don't know. He told on himself, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. <laughs> so, here's a town, number three. I've never heard of this town. So, it's Texarkana. Yeah. Texarkana. Have you ever heard that? I have. Texarkana? Yeah, Texas? Tex- Texarkana. So, there's a country song about Texarkana. <laughs> Is there? I've never heard of it. I want to say it was like, all right, guys, if your country fans don't quote me on this, I want to say it was George Strait. Texarkana. But I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to I don't think that. it's called Texarkana, but it's about like Tex has he mentions Texarkana in it. Okay, well, the Texarkana Moonlight Murderer wreaked havoc on a tiny mm-hmm. town in the uh, on the Texas Arkansas border in 1946. Well, that's what Based- Texarkana is. It's a mashup of Texas and Arkan uh, Texas and Arkansas. <laughs> now, is it Texas but the majority? And Arkansas. Of- <laughs> you didn't but catch the majority- that. Right? What you didn't catch that. I said no. Texas and, <laughs> and I said Texas and Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even catch that. It was just like Food. technically, technically, it is it is Arkansas, but it's Arkansas. Right, but you know that's what what's there. But I was thinking that because Texas and Arkansas, that's where you, they get Texarkana because it's right there on the border. But I said Texas and Arkansas. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> it's okay. You had an atism. Okay. <laughs> Based on the latest 2022 data from the census, the current population of Texarkana is around 36,000. Mm-hmm. Now, in 10 weeks, five people were killed and three others survived attacks by the same man. He was dubbed the Phantom Killer or Phantom Slayer because of the disturbing white mask he wore, which some described as a sack with holes cut out for eyes. That's freaky. Potato sack? Kind of like the old, like... It was white. So I maybe okay. a white sack or something. I don't know if potato sacks are white. I don't know. I'm thinking like know. the old... Um, what's the... Man, I am not wording well today. (laughs) Drink more wine. I've only had two sips. (laughs) No, drink more wine. (laughs) The words start flowing. The words start flowing. (laughs) Not only did he brutally beat, in some cases, and shoot his victims, but there was also a horrific gameplay aspect to his murders, which is very like uh, Alaskan murderer. Alaskan. yeah, the... The yeah, so he, human hunter that yes. Casey covered? Okay. So he would tell his victims to run away, and then he'd go chase mm-hmm. them down, mm-hmm. sexually assault them, and then do it all over again. Oh, that was your Robert Hansen. That's right. The three Robert Hansons. That was yes, one of the three Robert Hansons. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's insane. Yeah. The murders affected the whole town with people arming themselves and a, cu- a curfew being set. To make matters worse, the killer was never found, and the murders still remain unsolved. 
The case inspired a 1976 film called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Mm. I gotta check that out. Mm. This happened in the 40s? 1946, yep. So, number four, the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Well, I remember hearing about it. I don't, I don't, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't alive when it happened, but I know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I know about it, too. I don't know the details. Yeah. I, I don't know enough one. of it. So, Oklahoma has a population around 3 million mm-hmm. as of today. There are a few things more small town and wholesome than Girl Scouts, which makes the murders all the more gruesome. Yeah. While camping in Oklahoma in 1977, a counselor discovered the bodies of three kids, 8-year-old, 9-year-old, and 10-year-old. They were raped, beaten, strangled, and stuffed mm. back into their sleeping bags. Mm. Dean Leroy Hart, an escaped convict who grew up near the camp, was charged and acquitted, although DNA was found on the sleeping, ba- sleeping bags in 2007. It mm. was too deteriorated to be tested. So why say you have DNA if you don't technically have DNA on it? I don't know. Ironically enough, we're going to talk about that in my case. Oh, okay. Like we're gonna touch on it. We're not gonna go into to great detail, but we're gonna touch on. They have DNA, but don't have DNA. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So there was a partial profile that was recovered from the scene, and Mm -hmm. it was tested in 1989, and it did link to heart. Mm-hmm. Further DNA, DNA testing were conducted in 2019, and two years later, the Mays County Sheriff Mike Reed announced that while result, results are still inconclusive, they did not eliminate Hart. Mm-hmm. After the murders, the camp was permanently shut down. Yeah. So, and number five, one of the creepiest small town murder dates all the way back to 1874. Oh, in a small town called Millsat in Illinois, population about 4,000, mm-hmm. the 140-year-old murder mystery of the axe murders of Saxtown. Hmm. The entire family was killed in a single night, grandfather, father, mother, and two children, <gasps> brutally murdered with an axe, and the killer has never been found. I think I am, I know of this story. It was like, they were they found in like the barn? Yes. And they were, they were like, covered on top of each other, kind of? Yes. Yeah. I, re- I remember that one. And there is a big backstory here. So, like, I, I mean, we should do this, but, like, there's a big backstory because at this point, you know, the country was, like, almost maybe depression, I would say. I wouldn't say it would be the depress- depression era, but there was definitely, it was hard to find work and stuff. And mm-hmm. these people were... They came in from Germany, but apparently they they may have brought some gold with them, and the locals may have taken it from them. So mm. you don't know. Yeah. And the barn is still there. The barn is still there. It's a little shack. I wouldn't. Even, I wouldn't even call it a barn. Yeah. Is it a museum now? It may be. It may be mm. a museum. But, yeah. I would think oh. so. So a mention that I wanted to mention is you may know this, but Buford, Buford, mm-hmm. Wyoming. Have mm-hmm. you ever been there? Okay, so no, Buf- I don't think so. I've only been to Wyoming one time. Yeah, and then why? Why would you go to Wyoming? What's in Wyoming? I was. What's in a, Wyoming? There's a base up there. I was TDY oh, there. <laughs> but other than that, like, what's in Wyoming besides? I'm sure it's I mean, beautiful, beautiful. But yeah, I mean, beautiful farmland. I'm sure there's mm. there's a lot of cattle and yeah, moo moo yeah. <laughs> chickens. <laughs> there's a lot of farmland up there. There's a lot of lands. There's yeah. a lot of land. 
not enough tiki bars for me to live there, but a lot of lands. <laughs> and a lot of snow. And I say no thank you. No. Did you know that this is the smallest town in the United States? It has the population of one person. Ha <laughs> <laughs> They're the mayor. <laughs> they, yes. So, that, yeah, that's a little, those are my five uh, small okay. town murders that I pulled. And I can't wait to hear your story now. Yay. Well, I, I mentioned that, so we're here. It, yes. This is, we're going to the Ozark. Ooh, like the like the show, kinda doesn't oh, really have okay. lots to do with drugs, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're going to visit Chris's mom for her birthday, mm-hmm. and she lives in Missouri. And we're flying into Springfield, and I know that this town that we're talking about is just outside of Springfield. So I was like, "Hey, have you ever been to Nixon, Missouri?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's right there." Like, we'll fly. Do you want to drive through it when we when we go there? And I was like. Yes. <laughs> it's really weird, but yes. <laughs> so we're going to Nixa, Missouri. And this is a crime and cosmetic segment, as you mentioned, our Wait. first of season three. Wait a minute. You, when are you going there? Uh, in about um, two and a half weeks. Okay. You're going to do some video there for the crime chat, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. You're going <laughs> to video the town if you see anything cool. <laughs> Yes. Okay, cool. I'm going to go try. So I'm going to go and try and find the place where this, our victim that we're going to talk about today, where she worked. Okay. It was a cafe. Maybe eat at the cafe if it's still there. In the middle of this small town, there is a well-known and well-loved beauty queen who was brutally raped and murdered in 1985. It would take nearly 25 years for her killer to be caught and brought to justice. The story is a roller coaster, so straighten out your tiaras, queens, Mm. grab a beverage, and buckle in kitty cats, because here we go. In the early morning hours of June 18, 1985, an abandoned black Chevy Camaro was found on the side of Highway 160 by Les Johns, and he knew exactly whose car that was. It belonged to his 20-year-old daughter, Jackie. Jackie absolutely loved this car. It was, you know, the black Camaros from the 80s? Oh, yeah. They were gorgeous. It was black. It had red interior. It had a spoiler on the back. It had a vanity plate that said Jackie 1, J-A-C-K-I 1. So she had her own vanity plate. She was hot stuff. That was a hot car. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She worked very hard to save up her money to buy her first car, and she absolutely loved that car. And I don't blame her. I'd love it, too. Now, at first, Les, the father, he thought maybe she ran out of gas. Maybe she got a ride with somebody. Mm. However, after looking inside of the car, Les immediately called police because it was something that was obviously very, very wrong. The Christian County Sheriff, he was 33-year-old Dwight McNeil. He had only been on the job for five months, very new to be the sheriff. And he only lived a couple miles away, so he responded right away. Mm. Upon examining the vehicle, it was clear to the sheriff that this was a crime scene. There was blood spattered on the inside of the car. Uh A pair of jeans were also found where, like, one leg was turned inside out, like, taking it off of somebody. Like, if you're taking pants off of somebody, one of the legs was inside out. Uh There were female undergarments also found inside. The steering wheel was bent, and one of the seats in the car were also kind of, like, bent. McNeil thought that it was clear somebody had been seriously injured or killed as a result of the amount of blood that was found inside the vehicle. 
McNeil requested assistance from the Missouri State Highway Patrol to help process the scene. Now, the sheriff's department had McNeil, the sheriff, and five deputies and covered 600 square miles. So this is like very small, very limited resources, and they needed the help. Mm -hmm. Sheriff McNeil also knew Jackie personally and the Johns family. And he really wanted to get down to the bottom of what happened. But whatever did happen, it was violent. They needed to be thorough in their search and collect as much evidence as possible. And this also meant looking in the trunk. And McNeil, you know, is like, I want to find something in the trunk, but I don't want to find something in the trunk. So they opened it. And somewhat relieved, there wasn't a body. However, there was a bumper jack. A bumper jack is like a car jack. You used to raise the bumpers up and where mechanics go and kind of, you know, work underneath the car. But this particular bumper jack had a substantial amount of blood on it. He was concerned not only where she was, Jackie, but what kind of condition she might be in and hoped that she might still be alive. Mm. So who was Jackie Johns? Jacqueline Sue, or Jackie Johns, was born June 7th, 1965 in Springfield, Missouri. As I mentioned, it's only... I think Springfield's like five or six miles outside of Nixa. Mm-hmm. She was born to Les and Shirley Johns. She was the youngest of four girls. And the girls are Jackie, Joyce, Jean, and Janice. Johns, all J's. I love that. <laughs> but of all the girls, Jackie was the most extroverted. And she had a really big personality. She was the only sibling that was still living at home, being the baby you know, of the family. The other three girls had gone out on their own. Jackie was described as friendly, cheerful, happy, always in a good mood, and she would be the person they would call when they were feeling down and need, like, somebody to talk to. No one had a bad word to say about her. She was a cheerleader. And her friend Lisa, she remembered that Jackie would use, like, one, maybe two cans of Aquanet hairspray on her hair. And it it was that typical, like, winged, feathered 80s look. Yes. She said it was so far, you, you couldn't move it. Like once it was all set into place with the magical Aquanet, it would just like stay there. <laughs> <laughs> Typical 80s hair. But it, it like her, everything was perfect. She was very particular about how she looked. She was very, very beautiful. Always had wanted to have that like look of just, she had a perfect look about her just yeah. naturally anyways. Yeah. But she also was very attentive to it. So she just... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She was that. She was that girl that everybody loved. Yeah. In one summer, this beautiful and charismatic Jackie was crowned Queen of Sucker Day. What's You're probably day? like, what is Sucker Day? <laughs> uh, Sucker Day is a local festival that occurs every year in May since 1957. It was named after the sucker fish. Locals would close up shop, skip school take the day to go uh, quote unquote grab grabbing for suckers and the fish are frozen the town has a huge like fish fry it's just a really big celebration right and when jackie won in the early 80s she was she led the parade and on the drive there's a picture of her in the car with two of her friends and she's like leading the parade down the main street yeah it sounds adorable i love small towns just for this stuff it's just awesome now nixa it's a rural rural (laughs) i can't see it nixa is a rural 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 cattle branching community in the heart of the ozarks it's so small that it was a, a huge deal that Jackie would not just be crowned Sucker Day Queen, but also being part in leading the parade. So this is like a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the 20-year-old Jackie, she works as a waitress in the Nixa Sail Barn Cafe. So this cafe used to be attached to what they called the sale barn. And that's the sale barn is where they had cattle auctions Uh to sell cattle. The sale barn is now like adjacent to it. It's not in the same facility as the cafe, but the cafe is there. And uh, Jackie was a waitress there for quite a while. A lot of people knew her. And this is where she met Sheriff McNeil. Jackie always served her customers with a smile. And she was favored by many, many patrons. She did have a boyfriend. His name was Cody, and he worked at the sale barn selling cattle Mm -hmm. right right adjacent across from her. He was described as quiet and was a few years older than Jackie. He was currently in the process of getting a divorce when they were dating. It wasn't finalized yet, but Jackie was, like, absolutely smitten for Cody. Yeah. The night before Jackie's car was found would have been uh, June 17th, 1985. Jackie was working, and it was a really busy night. She did manage to call her friend Lisa, the one that was saying about the Aquanet hairspray, and said, hey, Lisa, when I get off work, can I come pick you up? Lisa asked her mom, and her mom said, uh, no, you know what? It's too foggy outside. There's liable to be a murder. Lisa often thinks that if her mom would have let her go, that Jackie might still be alive. Wow. Imagine. What a weird thing to say, though. Yeah, because it was like a really, it was really, really foggy that night. And yeah. It was kind of like a, one of those nights that like people who make it like hair stand up on their neck kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like It's funny how her mind did go straight to murder. Like she, we would have, yeah. we would have, she would have been besties with us. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she was a true crime fan. Yeah. So Cody showed up the end of Jackie's shift to the cafe. They spoke to one another outside and then Jackie said goodbye to her boyfriend, co-workers, and left the cafe alone to go home. Okay. On her way home, she stopped at a 7-Eleven convenience store. One of the items that they found in the car when they were doing the search was her receipt from the 7-Eleven. So that kind of helped the investigators with a timeline when witnesses say that she left the cafe, the time that she stopped at the 7-Eleven, at least kind of give a, a little bit of time frame of when she was last seen and how long she might have been missing. Right. The clerk at the 7-Eleven said that, well, he knew Jackie, and she was acting like her normal self. There was no sign of distress. It wasn't like somebody made her go in and, you know, take cash out or go buy food or buy drink or something. And her house was only about five minutes away. This is, like I said, Nix is very small. And there's a map that has where the cafe is. Where her car was found, where the 7-Eleven is, and where her house is. And it's literally within, like, I don't know, eight miles of each other. Wow. Just, like, all in, you know. It's very close. It's a small town. The sheriff's office called for the citizens of Nixa to help search for Jackie. The area that they were searching was large. I mean, it was a small town, but it was large because it was surrounded by farmland, right? So it's acres and acres and acres of, like, cattle and, you know, farms and everything. Hundreds of people showed up, and Jackie was well-known, so people just wanted to help and support the Johns family. People came in on horseback. They were searching on ATVs, motorcycles, you name it. Mom and Dad, Shirley and Les, they, as you can imagine, were absolutely devastated, not knowing where their baby girl was. (sighs) Les went on the news in an interview, and he said, quote, The quicker and sooner they get the culprits that are guilty of this, so some poor other innocent little girls won't be victimized the way our sweet thing was, end quote. At this time, they hadn't found Jackie, but it was obvious that something had happened. 
Everyone was just like in shock and in a daze that something like this would happen in their town. And they all wanted to find Jackie, but they didn't want to find Jackie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, my God. It was that bad. The scene was that bad. Oh, my Lord. It was hard on the family, and it was hard on the small town and the people of Nixa. Jackie's sister, Jean, recalled that she last saw Jackie three days before her disappearance. She was in great spirits, but shared with some of her friends that Jackie felt like she was being watched. She did not want to be by herself, and she wanted somebody with her all of the time. So the fact, too, that she left the cafe alone was a little... I mean, but she's also probably thinking, it's only a couple miles between work and home, and I can make this quick stop. You know what I mean? So she probably wasn't thinking too much of it, but... For some reason, Jackie was just, like, scared. Mm. Cody, naturally, was wanted to be interviewed. He was the boyfriend, and he was one of the last people to see Jackie before she got to the 7-Eleven. So, in his interview, he said that he was home alone when Jackie went missing, but didn't have any other details and didn't have an alibi. He was going through a divorce, so he was home alone. Right. He's a cowboy, he's a ranch hand, tough guy, not one to wear emotions on his sleeve, so any kind of emotional reaction also they weren't getting from Cody. But nobody had anything bad to say about him. He wasn't a violent person, he wasn't a jealous type of person. He was kind of less made like a suspect, but not completely eliminated. So three days after Jackie's car was found, this would have been the 22nd of June, 1985, Two fishermen found a nude female body floating in Lake Springfield, which is about four and a half miles away from where her car was discovered. Jackie was known so well that there was no question who this was. After they recovered her body from the lake, Sheriff McNeil said he was just sick to his stomach. He was mad. He was sad for the family. And it was just really hard to put into words all the emotions that they all felt that day standing on the boat ramp as her body was taken out of the lake. Sheriff McNeil also had to make the treacherous trip to the parents, Lesson Shirley, which was one of the worst experiences you can have as a law enforcement officer to make a death notification or to talk to a family members of somebody who has passed away. It's, yeah. it's very hard. So yeah. especially when you know them on a personal level, it makes it like even harder. Yeah. Law enforcement did not want them to see Jackie's body. She had been in a lake for a few days. So instead, they cut off her rings that were on her fingers, and her sister Jean was the one to kind of positively identify that was her property, mm-hmm. particularly one ring that Jean gave to Jackie for her birthday, which was just a week and a half before. Oh, my God. So after Jackie was murdered, Jean also said the family just, like, never the same. Now, the autopsy revealed that Jackie died from blunt force trauma. She also had been raped. Puncture wounds to her head were consistent with the bumper jack that was found in the trunk. They also found semen, which was miraculously discovered because of the time frame her body had been in the lake. They did, they were able to pull semen from her body. Four days after her body was found, she was laid to rest. Most of the town showed up and they held the funeral or memorial services at the gym high school. It was standing room only. It was just jam packed. Yeah. The police videotape people coming in and out naturally because a lot of times the offenders will show up and watch, you know, kind of see things for themselves. But nobody looked out of place. Nobody stood out to them. Employees from the cafe and the regulars that were there were interviewed by multiple police officers. The police officers were conducting multiple interviews with as many people as they could. But there was one customer from the cafe, one of the regulars, that just kind of stood out. 
he was seen acting strange around Jackie on multiple occasions. And Jean, Jackie's sister, said that Jackie was really creeped out by him. He brought her flowers. He brought her candy while she was working at the cafe. Yeah. And this was the only person with any type of, like, unusual activity that law enforcement could find. But he had an alibi. He was in jail in another county. Oh, okay. (laughs) So he was eliminated as a suspect. I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's where he belongs then. (laughs) So desperate for leads, they set up a hotline for tips on this case, hoping that somebody saw something suspicious that night. But it didn't take long. They started getting a couple leads. Two men who were getting gas at the 7-Eleven when Jackie stopped witnessed a distinctive pickup truck that was backed up at a bank parking lot, which was across the street from the 7-Eleven. It was a powder blue 1960 Chevy model Cheyenne. It had aftermarket custom wheels on it. So the odds that there was a powder blue customized 1960s Cheyenne pickup truck in the area, there's like two, it's very slim to none, right? There's people are going to know who drives that. So McNeil hoped that this would be the break that they were looking for. They believed that the truck belonged to 28-year-old Gerald Carnahan, the son of a prominent Nixa businessman who was from a wealthy and well-connected family. Everyone's pretty familiar with the Carnahan family and said that Gerald was like clean-cut professional looking. And then he came that way when he went to the office. He was very cool, calm, collected, and told police that he would do anything to help. He denied being parked at the bank that night and said that he was at home with his stepdaughter, Sarah. His wife was out of town on a business trip, so he took his stepdaughter out to dinner. When they got back home, Gerald said he never left the house again. And he remembers when he got home because the 10 o'clock news was on. And then Jackie, I think, don't think she got off of work until after 10. But the stepdaughter also was interviewed and she said she was confident that she would have heard Gerald if he had left again. And she, so she, her testimony was that he never left. I would have heard if he would have left and, and basically confirmed that Gerald was home the whole night. However, investigators did notice some interesting abrasions on his hands. Mm, okay. Now, Jackie was familiar with the Carnahan family. She worked for them for a short time, but she quit after Gerald continuously hit on her and tried to pursue her even after she left. Coworkers and others who knew Gerald described him as a manipulative man who always had a way to get what he wanted. He would also sometimes go into rage over little things, like if someone parked in his parking space at the office. Gerald was not really well-liked, but was well-protected by his family's fortune and his prominence, and his family's prominence, essentially, in the community. Then they got another call, another witness, Gerald's brother, who also said he saw Gerald's truck that night out after Gerald said that he was home. So Highway 60 is is where Jackie's car was found. Right. The convenience store is on the same road. The cafe is on the same road. (laughs) So once you're leaving like the cafe going towards the convenience store, it makes a hard sweeping curve Mm -hmm. to the left. At that curve, there was a huge hayfield. Past the hayfield on the right was Gerald's parents' home and then the John's family home. So they also lived, Gerald's parents lived right next to where the John's family was as well. The brother was out and about, I guess, getting ready to go home. And he saw Gerald's truck parked at the Hayfield intersection, right where that curve kind of is. Gerald asked his brother not to tell police that he saw him and that he was out. 
So they said, hey, Jerry, <laughs> you mind taking a polygraph? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take a polygraph. The next day was his appointment. He no showed, never showed up. So now police are like, okay, we're really suspicious about this guy. But they just didn't have any proof, right? There was a lot of circumstantial things that were very questionable and very, like, something just wasn't adding up. Yeah. But there was no direct evidence. And this was before DNA comparison, before those types of forensic advances in technology. And then they try to find him. Sheriff McNeil finds out he was about to go overseas. He was going to Thailand to run a recently purchased family-owned factory. So the, the family just bought this out there. Gerald's like, hey, Dad, I'm going to leave. I'll go tomorrow and I'll go take care of that factory. Like, you know, leaves, try to bust out of town, leave town. Uh-huh. Police were very desperate to keep Gerald from boarding the plane. And it was also beyond any type of extradition treaties that they had also. So they knew they couldn't go that route. What they did is they tried to charge Carnahan with evidence tampering because he probably manipulated his stepdaughter to lie for him. They charged Carnahan with evidence tampering. So basically they could get the stepdaughter to admit that Gerald made her lie. So that would be tampering with evidence or falsifying evidence, falsifying testimony. So they asked for it, and they did receive a warrant for the tampering or manufacturing the false evidence. It was a stretch, but it was all they had at the time. They didn't have enough for an actual, like, search warrant. They were able to intercept Gerald as he literally was boarding the plane in Los Angeles to go to Thailand. So they had coordinated with FBI. FBI found him, like, took him off the plane and and took him into custody. Gerald Carnahan was indicted, and Sheriff McNeil said that With him being indicted and waiting for, like, a trial or a grand jury for the tampering, it would give them enough time to do more investigation on the murder of Jackie. They also got an opportunity to interview Carnahan again. Right. And he stuck to his story. I was home by 10. I didn't leave the house. The news was on. I know exactly what time it was. Liar. They They did go to trial for the tampering charge based on the highly questionable alibi that he had, but there's still no murder charge. However, for the family, this, it was moving in the right direction. Like it was, okay, we're getting somewhere. The father, Les, said in an interview, quote, this is what we've been waiting for. I want the guilty person taken care of and the innocent person turned loose, end quote. I don't know what he meant by the innocent person turned loose because there was no other innocent person unless he meant Cody at the time. (laughs) I'm not sure. But that was on one of the news interviews that I saw. But the charges were thrown out in court because there was not enough physical evidence to prove the tampering or the manufacturing of false evidence. Yeah. (laughs) The case of the murdered beauty queen Jackie Johns then turns cold. It fell off the radar. They ran out of leads and like different things that you can do just kind of ran out of ideas. Sheriff McNeil felt the family looked at him as a failure and they were personally angry with him. And it's the only homicide he ever worked that he said he just couldn't shake. The case not only haunted Sheriff McNeil, but also a lot of people in the Nixa community. McNeil's term as the sheriff ended in 1988, but he did keep track of the case and development in forensics. By the 1990s, Jackie's murder, again, is falling out of the public eye, had been several years, but it always stayed with Sheriff McNeil. He still felt that this case was solvable, but they just needed that one break. 
Jackie's case was considered the most thoroughly investigated case in Christian County history. So it wasn't by lack of effort from law enforcement. They just needed to have that like one last piece. They pretty much knew who did it. They just needed to prove it. Uh And McNeil said, quote, it was the only case in my career that I just never could shake. It's something you take personally. And I thought I would die with this case unsolved, Uh end quote. But Gerald Carnahan's problems began to increase. In November 1992, his wife Pat asked for an order of protection stating Gerald was, quote, abusing several antidepressants and getting drunk every day. He had begun waving a pistol while he staggered around their home. He attacked his wife with a hot iron. He ran over Pat's foot with a car. He vowed he would not kill her because a quick death would not she wouldn't suffer enough and he wished that he could give her a sexually transmitted disease. End quote. And all that was in the protection order. A whack request. job. Okay. Yeah. Pat did end up dropping the order against Gerald, but she did divorce him. I don't know when the divorce was was finalized, but they did divorce. Forward to March of 1993, it's been eight years after Jackie Johns was murdered. An 18-year-old was walking down the street when Gerald Carnahan attempted to kidnap her. He wasn't alone. He had a friend freaking driving the car while he tried to grab this 18-year-old and kidnap her. Basically, I mean, if you don't have, a, a, like, an idea, he had a sense of, like, he's untouchable. Like, I, they know I killed her, but they can't prove it. So, you know, come and get me, I'm bad getting, guy. I'm you getting murder Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thankfully, the girl did manage to get away. But Carnahan was apprehended, and subsequently he was convicted for attempted kidnapping. But he only got two years in prison. So fast forward just a little bit more, August 2007, Sergeant Daniel Nash is the new cold case detective at the Missouri Highway Patrol, and he took on the Jackie Johns murder case. The swab that was taken from Jackie's body was collected as evidence, if you remember, and it had been in the water for multiple days, and there was a concern with this being the only piece of, like, physical evidence that they had of another DNA profile that it might get damaged through newly found forensic testing. But they went through with it anyways, because if that's all they had, that's all they had. It's like, there's no, there's no, nothing lost, I guess. You know what I mean? Miraculously enough, the sample survived. Mm-hmm. There was some degradation in the sample. However, and this is what I was talking about earlier when you mentioned, like, semen, the degradation. Yeah. Semen is apparently one of the most resilient cells in the in the human body. Like, uh-huh. I mean, just think about what it has to go through. Right. <laughs> what it, what semen is even for, it, for procreation. Like, all the things and all of the <laughs> difficult things that they have to go through to That's fertilize awesome. an egg. <laughs> But it is one of the most resilient cells, and the lab was able to develop a DNA profile, but all, all they needed now was a match. Mm. So first they tested Jackie's boyfriend, Cody, and like I said, he was never really considered a serious suspect, but they couldn't necessarily rule him out either, but mm. this DNA would be a way to rule him out. He was cooperative, he pro- provided a buccal swab, and the lab compared it, he was not a match. Okay. Now, they needed to get to Gerald Carnahan and his DNA. Mm -hmm. Knowing he would not consent to the search, he would be, like, if you were to go up to him and be like, hey, you want to spit in this cup for me? They would be like, he'd be like, hell no. (laughs) You know, he's not a dumb guy. Right, but now, like today, since he served two years, would we have had that DNA? Did they not take? Apparently not. Apparently not then. Yeah. 
I mean, I think we do now, yeah. but maybe this would have been, that would have been 19, that was still in the 90s, like 1993. Okay. I don't think, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have taken the DNA, I don't think then. Okay. So knowing he would not consent to search, like Cody, they just asked Cody and he, Cody consented to search. Right. Gerald would not, knowing he would not consent to search. So they requested for a search warrant to obtain his DNA. However, Carnahan was out of the country at this time, and they didn't know when or if he was coming back. So Sergeant Nash, he worked with Homeland Security to say, hey, this guy, anytime he comes back in through the country, give us a call and let us know when he comes back. So about six or seven months later, he was back. They came up with a ruse. So investigators said that they were going to go to his office and they told the receptionist, hey, we're some high school friends and we're getting a reunion together and we wanted to, you know, get with Jerry and see if he wants to come. That was enough to get into his office. They were able to speak to Carnahan, but he was like, I don't remember you guys. Like, what's your name again? Like, I don't I don't really remember you. (laughs) And they're like, oh, well, this is our name. We're investigator so and so with law enforcement and we have a warrant for your DNA. (laughs) So all they needed really was to like get in and get with mm-hmm. him and get to him. And they said, this is about the Jackie Johns murder. You remember that, don't you? So Carnahan allegedly was like, as they were collecting his buccal sample, like teary eyed, like this is not good. Like he was just like holding it in, but like they saw him get like really teary eyed and like visibly yeah. upset. The sample was rushed to the crime lab in Jefferson City, Missouri, and it was marked urgent because Gerald made frequent trips to China, like in and out. He was His wife is Chinese. He married a Chinese woman, his second wife. So he could leave at any time. They had to rush the DNA test before he had a chance to leave again. Lab tech stayed all through the night to work on the sample and to get a profile, and they were done early the next morning. And guess what? It was a match. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Carnahan was charged with rape and murder of Jackie Johns. And in 2010, in September, it went to trial. Finally, the family can get some justice. But at trial, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of anger, just big tension in the courtroom because of the graphic testimony that the family had never heard before of like the condition of her body and things that were just very hard for the family to see and to like listen to. Yeah. Carnahan's stepdaughter also testified and she did admit based on the DNA that she could have been wrong and that her stepfather could have left the house that night. Obviously he did. Oh my God. Yeah. And wow. she, but she's, she never heard anything. He just must have been, like, really quiet. Yeah. The Johns family did agree to waive the death penalty in order to shorten the trial. Les Johns, now an ailing 83-year-old, was not healthy enough to actually attend the trial himself, but he did get Aww. frequent calls from the court, like from his daughters, with updates. They just hoped that he would live long enough to see justice served. The trial took about two weeks, And the verdict, guilty. He was guilty of first-degree murder and first-degree rape. And Les Johns got to see his justice served for his daughters. And at one of the clips that I saw, there was news cameras that were actually, because he wasn't at trial, he was at home. And when he got the call for the verdict, and there were just like tears of joy, it was relief. Like you can visibly see that. Les did die of natural causes in 2013, but he did get to see justice for Jackie. Now, Gerald Carnahan, he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. 
And he got away with murder for 22 years. Uh-huh. Carnahan, of course, did appeal, and a new trial was requested in 2012 based on, so his defense attorneys were saying, like, the handling of the DNA evidence, it was questionable for whatever reason. Uh-huh. It, it, you know, anything they can try and poke at. Right. But the retrial was denied by the judge in October of 2022. Oh, recently. Okay. Yes. Recently. Like, just over a year ago. <laughs> a year and a half ago. Carnahan was also suspected in other murders. In 1987, Debbie Sue Lewis, her vehicle was found abandoned close to the same location as Jackie's Camaro. It was weird. Debbie Sue was 21 and was a previous love interest of Gerald's. He was also spotted at the same bar that Debbie Sue was last seen at. Her remains were found four months later after her car was found, but evidence could not conclusively link Gerald Carnahan to Debbie Sue's murder. Also, 24-year-old Kellyanne Workman disappeared while mowing the lawn at a cemetery in 1989. Her body was found a week later in Christian County. Her case is also unsolved, but there are suspicions about Gerald Carnahan and his involvement. In June 1992, three Springfield, Missouri women disappeared. One of them used to cut Gerald Carnahan's hair. Oh my god! Three women have never been found, and their case is still open. He could be a potential serial killer and rapist. Yeah. Oh my god, okay. He is, however, serving life prison at Potosi, 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 I like Potosi, 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 Correctional Center in Mineral Point, Missouri. Now I said it right, y'all, Missouri. It's not Missouri, it's Missouri. How, uh, okay, so friends of Jackie's, what they said they missed most about her was her smile, friendship. Her sister Jean said, quote, it's something that you live with every day, but you learn to live with it, end quote. Now, this case has been on a lot of television shows, documentaries, a couple podcasts, Mm -hmm. in addition to ours. Yeah. And honestly, I'm really surprised how popular it was in, like, the media, if you will, like, in culture. Yeah. Because I'd never heard of it until I started looking for a crime and cosmetics episode and doing research. Like, I was like, I've never heard of this before. I never heard of this. Yeah. It first came out on Investigation Discovery show Beauty Queen Murder. In 2013, and then on Swamp Murders in 2016. Oxygen Network show Ice Cold Blood aired March 2021. A&E, their Cold Case Files aired the episode The Queen of the Ozarks on April 22nd, 2022. So that's recent too. This case was featured on a podcast called Crime Traveler in their episode called Justice for Jackie. In 2023, podcast called The Midwest Crime Files also covered the case with their episode called Murder in Nixa, the Jackie Johns case. And then lastly, there is a Facebook page dedicated to Jackie Johns. It's called Jackie Johns Memorial, honoring Jackie. And it appears to be ran by like her family. And I've I've seen the sister Jean, maybe the one kind of running it, but it looks like it's ran by her family. So many comments on there. People are sharing memories of... When they knew Jackie, every year for her birthday, they're wishing her a happy birthday. And it's just, it was very touching just to kind of look at at some of that on there. And I think that's awesome. But that is our crime and cosmetics episode for season 
that, our first one. That is really sad. That's the saddest crime of cosmetics I don't I think you've ever done. Like that <laughs> it was pretty That's sad. a really sad case. Oh my god. Yeah. But she was beautiful, guys. So check out our Patreon. We'll have there's a, a bunch of pictures that I got. You can also check out the Facebook page dedicated to Jackie Johns. And she's just a beautiful girl. Yeah. And totally 80s look. You know, you got the wings and the, the feathered and she sounds just, like she sounds amazing. She sounds like yeah, she, she sounds was the perfect sweetheart. Yeah, I was raised in the '80s, so I know the big hair, and I remember yeah. the car. And if you had the big yeah. hair and the car, and you were oh, she, yeah, she was popular. Everybody loved yeah. her. Like nobody had anything bad to say about her. She was just, she was the Nixa queen. Yeah, you know, she was the Nixa beauty queen. And her parents, I mean, I, I mean, all of the sisters, like they were all very close. But Jackie was just the most outgoing and, and yeah. adventurous and extrovert and just – and she might have been more the wild child, but, <laughs> but she was the baby. Yeah. She was the baby of the family, and the parents treated her as, a, as the baby of the family, and her sisters loved her, and oh, rest, she was well-loved in Nixa. Rest in peace, Jackie, and Les. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Thank God he's, he was able to see justice for his daughter, his mm-hmm. baby girl. Oh, you're going to – okay, now you're just – you're going to make me cry. Now, now I got to go to the Facebook. I got to show my support and I got to go check out – oh, my God. Yeah. When I go to Missouri in a couple weeks, I'm going to – we're going to go by Nixa. Yeah. We're, we're going to – so we're flying into Springfield and not like it's out of the way. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> it's right there. So, Yeah. Take videos, take pictures, whatever you can, yeah. whatever you could do without screwing up your holiday. Get as oh, yeah, sneak in as much as you can. And <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for that crime of cosmetics. Oh, Kicking yes. it off this year. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm, like I said, straighten out your tiaras, queens, because it's a rough, it's a roller coaster. It's a rough one. You know what? I think from now on, we probably should start wearing tiaras for these episodes. Juana, <laughs> let's yeah, do it. Let's, let's do I got to buy one. I know you have one, but I, I, I don't have mm-hmm. one. I, I got to buy one. All right. I'll go to Amazon. I'll go to Tiara. All right. Well, because we don't leave you hanging for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime yes. Chat, only available on our Patreon. Yes, I've got – there's pictures. There's news articles. The pictures of Jackie, pictures of Gerald Carnahan, pictures mm. of Les when he was on the news. Yeah. And all of the references that – including all the episodes that I mentioned, or all the different – ways that it's been covered they're going to be all on that after that crime chat so don't forget to follow us crime chat with nat and cat on facebook instagram youtube tiktok twitter see what we got going on remember crime chat with nat and cat when you become a vip chatter to our patreon you'll have access to bonus episodes behind the scenes bloopers and free merch and check out some season three merch in the works yes be sure to tune in to our next episode next week don't want to miss it we'll see you on the next crime chat Bye.